Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Marcus Thomas. And I'm Oz Arshad, and we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help you bridge the gap. So, we're here, we're back. We're back after Christmas, after New Year. How fat are you? Very. Mate, <laughs> I did a picture on Instagram yesterday, and even my wife said to me, you need to cut your belly out of the shot. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was like, right, okay. I did, I did say to her, well, I'm crouched on the seat and I'm sat forward, so. You can play like, a convincing Santa at the minute. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm feeling thick. I, I went away to Jamaica, for, that's for the fans, you already know. And I was on an all-inclusive holiday, so I'm extra thick right now. Did you have like five meals a day? Yes, and dessert with each meal. Like no one needs dessert with breakfast. No. Like, <laughs> there's just no need to have dessert with breakfast. But I mean, that's where I was. And I justified it by it being Christmas and also a holiday. So. And, and the thing is with them all-inclusive all things is that even though it's breakfast, but you don't get shit that's breakfast. You get like dinner shit or breakfast. Yeah, so I was I was having like a full-on carby meal and then I was having like pancakes with Fucking maple syrup hell. and then fruit, like with every single breakfast. And also like I don't eat cheese when I'm here, but when I'm on holiday or in Europe and stuff, I eat cheese. I become like a proper vegetarian. So yeah, I'm cheesed out. I've, I've had my, wow. <laughs> my allotment of cheese for the year. Amazing. Well, it's a new year and we're back to it now. So today's episode, we're going to talk about the biggest mistakes early directors make, part one. Why are we calling it? Why are we going to do it in different parts? We're going to do it in different parts because we're anticipating in two years' time listening back to this and realising we've made a bunch of mistakes <laughs> again. Because um, it's, it's basically about constantly learning, right? So it would be, if there was never going to be a part two to this, then there'd be a problem. Because we're stagnated. Exactly. So just just to kind of set it up, then set the stall out, what is it that directors need to do? They need to get work out. They need to show people what the work is so you can get it in front of commissioners, get it, get, get eyes on it so that they can hire you or, you know, in a festival or whatever. So that's the ultimate, obviously, goal for most directors or to just create a piece of work that people can connect to an audience. But then there's a whole load of mistakes that can go from trying to reach that objective. When you start out, the whole thing is just terrifying because you haven't got a clue. Like you actually mm. don't know anything. All you have is just like a passion and that's kind of it. There is a lot of doubt which you have on yourself in terms of how you'll be viewed by others. Whether that's in terms of being confident enough to like throw the work out and have people see it on social media and talk about what you're doing creatively. That's like quite a scary thing. And also just reaching out to people who you perceive to be doing better than you to work with you as a collaborator you feel like you're constantly being judged as if you're not good enough or something because you don't have that solid level of work to back up where you feel like you are learning wise and 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 really it is about your work being looked at by other people that's the whole point of directing you are directing for who you are directing for the viewer and you know i think there's probably very few people who actually direct just for themselves and i've, I've obviously we've heard interviews where ridley scott said I'm just making the film for myself. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But at the end of the day, that's 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 tied into all of us, all of us lot watching it and enjoying his work. I think what he means is he doesn't give a shit whether we like it or not. You know, he's at that level. He's Ridley Scott. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of part of part of what it is. Like I that's how I approach stuff. I make stuff for me. But ultimately like once I've made it, you give it out to everyone else and it's for them to enjoy and it's not yours anymore. It's for mm. everyone else to bring their own experiences to it. Mm. But yeah, in the early stages it's it's if you're not doing it for you then I don't know it's because it's it's highly unlikely to find an audience like in the early stages so you have to first of all be proud of whatever you're doing and yeah speaking to one of my my mentees the other week like I I told them to reach out to their local talent exec and I kind of gave the talent exec a heads up about it and things like this and it's because they were thinking to make a short on their own without a producer and I was like there's so much a producer will bring to a project which will save you you should definitely just reach out to people you've got a script you've developed it with me I'm like in the industry and I'm doing bits and bobs it it legitimizes your project because you're doing it through screen skills and you've developed it with a mentor it's not a project which has nothing behind it so just approach the the people who the talent exec has suggested to you with a cover email and go from there and they're all sort of infused. And then when I caught up, caught up with them a month later, they'd basically talked themselves out of even approaching someone. And it was just through fear. Like it's just to- totally through fear. And I'm not sure if like the scenario that I would have went through would have been the same as I was coming up, but I definitely had similar sort of mindset where I was kind of, if I needed a cinematographer, I'd be a bit worried about reaching out to a high level cinematographer to work with me because I feel like they wouldn't, well, they wouldn't view me as like a serious director, even though that's what I was aspiring to be. So yeah, there's a lot of fear. I think attached to the early stages it can sabotage you yeah 100 percent. and i think that i think that comes down to what, what we've spoken about in the earlier episodes about our work unfortunately validation is an unnecessary evil that we have to have and unless someone champions you or someone tells you that you're good that you might look up to or whose who's, um, opinion you appreciate how are you actually going to know that you're any good? Then you'll have the confidence to reach out to people and think, actually, I'm worthy of reaching out. They're going to get back to me. It is a tough one. There's there's someone who's a, who I'm trying to contact at the moment and they've replied back to me a couple of times, um, an exec it, it is, and uh, I'm just being persistent. I'm, I don't care. I don't care about what he thinks about me. I need to speak to that person. Yeah. And it's just because they, they're just busy. They're just busy. That's all it is. They're not... They're not te- they're not not replying back to me or taking time and delaying because they don't like me. They just because they tell me that if that was the case, it's just because they're busy. And that's ultimately what it is, right? To to kind of like give a circle back on that story. The second time after telling her, like just to do it, <laughs> uh, quite sternly, she then reached out to me a few weeks later saying that she's got a producer on board who's keen to speak in the new year. It's purely psychological. You don't seem to have that thing in your head where you you worry about approaching people. You just kind of go and do it, and you get rewards from it because you end up on film sets from from just speaking people and keeping relationships going and that's what it's about really it's taking chances so i think that what you spoke about there was one mistake wasn't it i think so there's a mistake in there somewhere yeah exactly so that was mistake uh number one numero uno actually let's do that so mistake number one is not reaching out to people the fear of your own confidence i guess yeah self-doubt yeah the second mistake I think that we could talk about is not finishing work. That's a big one. What's your experience of not finishing work, Oz? I actually suffer from the opposite of it. If I start somewhere and it's shit, and I know that this is not going anywhere, unfortunately, I will stay with it until I finish it because I've just got this thing I have to finish. Mm. And it's like, I've just wasted all that time when I didn't mean to do it. It's like sometimes I'll sit and watch a film and just out of respect for the filmmakers, I might, I might try and sit through and watch it all when actually I'm not connected to it at all. 
I'm, I'm getting better with it. I think it's very honourable. For me, in early years, I would definitely not finish projects. When I was doing comedy sketches, I've got a bunch of comedy sketches still on a hard drive somewhere, half finished, where there might have been something small, like a technical issue, like around the sound, which most people would just kind of crack on and wouldn't really care. But for me, it was like, I can't put that out because it's not good enough. Same with scripts. Like early on, I'd always like write ideas or sometimes get halfway through a script and not finish it. Um, and there was a whole sort of discipline attached. I think once I forced myself to get to the end of scripts, that's when I started to get better as a writer, for sure. There's also an element of not starting as well. But definitely, that's a second mistake that I think early directors make is not finishing your start. And it could be that if they write a director, like you said, they start a script and they never do it. I, I know a couple of friends of mine who have written a script cracking, they've got crew involved, ready to go, they just haven't pinpointed a date because they might not have a producer and they try to produce it themselves. And because they don't have that propensity to keep the ship moving forward, it just fizzles out and they don't finish, they don't start, they don't even shoot it. The most exciting part of, of, of being a director is coming up with the initial idea, right? Is that moment when the inspiration hits, you're like, this idea is incredible, oh, this is, and it kind of, it just keeps spinning and you keep getting more and more. Like that's the most energizing moment but you need that to kind of carry you through. And then there's a whole work element attached when I think when you're starting out, the work element doesn't really come into it. You're just running on on vibes. <laughs> and so once the vibes go, you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to stop now because I'm not enjoying it. When actually you need that sort of like grit to take you through to finish something. I mean, projects take years to do. So you can't, it's impossible to sustain that that wave of inspiration for the whole few years it takes to finish something. So there's the work element needs to come into it. But I think when you're starting out, you kind of think that everyone's running on that inspiration the entire time. It is solely on you as the project creator to take your head out of the sand and think back to, well, what was the initial, what was the impetus and what was the feeling of that? I think that's a, I think that's a constant in any art, isn't it, of trying to hold on to that. And when you're in the thick of it or, you know, just life shit and it's just weighing down on how you think about that project, it's like, how, how do you kind of like circle back rather to that particular feeling? Yeah, you, exactly. It's That's that's the thing to cling on to when stuff's going wrong you need to sit and be honest with yourself and do the work so you kind of re like you need to retell yourself what it is you're telling and why why you want to tell the story when things get tough and inevitably things go wrong that's what is going to carry you through those moments is that initial wave it's not something to give up on do you think there's a correlation where this what we're talking about you know very quickly losing patience and interest in one of your own ideas that you started and not finishing it there's a correlation between that and basically, you know, how society and technology has moved where everything is at your disposal. You know, even like when you're swiping on Tinder, it's like, nah, next, nah. So that's a life you're ticking past. Swiping on Tinder, us. <laughs> Does your wife know? <laughs> no, I'm not on Tinder, I'm just saying. Um, and then consumerism has completely eroded our sense of value and patience and interest in certain things because we can just chuck it and move on to the next thing. And I wonder if that kind of like behavior has filtered through to how some artists finish something fucking on board with this idea let's move on to the next thing i've been guilty yeah. of that I, I think now there is more distractions than there has ever been like i think that is just true but i don't want to be one of those old people that moans about the way the world is mm. um because i i feel like i mean i 10 years well, not 10 years ago but maybe like eight or nine years ago i i had the same issues and tiktok hadn't even been invented mm. vine wasn't even really a thing so I, I guess like it's just relative to where you are and yeah there there is there is a lot of distractions and and whatever else and i don't think it helps 
I don't think it, it helps creatives, but I think ultimately it's, it, it's if the passion's there and you want to do it, you'll find a way to do it and just turn the phone off, really. It's, it's about balance, but maybe at the base level, before people have even figured out they want to be filmmakers, maybe it's harder to, to focus in and block those distractions out because you don't really realise what it takes to, to reach these levels. Then the flip side is people have TikTok, so they're going to be sat there on a phone and editing a minute's worth of content and not thinking they're, they're mm. making a video or mm. making a film when they're actually doing that on the day-to-day, which is a massive thing, which I didn't edit a film <laughs> until I was already a man. It's one of those ones, right? Whereas my niece and nephews, like 10, 11, have made TikToks. So yeah. it's all relative. And also, I think with our ideas not getting finished because of distractions or just because of our behaviours of just losing interest in things quickly. Another thing that can can be a big distraction from finishing work is life. You know, you have to pay bills, you have to, you know what I mean, get on with, uh, if you've got family and stuff, and those things can definitely, it's not really a mistake, it's just life. I think it's just, if you, like you said, if your passion's there, then you'll then you'll do it. You'll make the time for it. And I think that that's that is what I do. I I, I force time and get selfish with it. Yeah. So that otherwise it, nothing's gonna get done. You know, yesterday I had a handyman over. I had someone coming to dismantle a bed. I had loads of other sort of like worky admin life stuff going on. But it was necessary. It had to happen. And then later on in the evening, I sat with the cats till one in the morning, <laughs> and. And did whatever it is I needed to do. You've I had also to got do PS Five. Yeah, is I, I actually, wasn't on, I actually wasn't on it yesterday. I stayed off it. My daughter was on it. I was off it. I was like, I'm not touching it. I didn't even start on it. Yeah, uh, it was because I was. I, I just wanted to get. I, I wanted to get stuff done because it was stressing me throughout the day because I couldn't get to it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely that. So that's that's number three. Uh, sorry, number two. Number three mistake. Number three. This was my personal mistake. It was. It was not focusing on story and performance early enough I'd spent so long it kind of ties into some of the later points but I I was focused on getting better technically that would be like using cameras which is all important stuff was like using cameras and like lighting and making sure that I could make something that looked professional and looking at how to create the film look through technical means but once I've kind of reached the point where I am now I realized I could probably shoot something on a phone as everyone tells you and as long as the sound's good I could make something which would feel like a film and that's based on story and performance that's really what it comes down to and that takes a lot of learning because that's actually the hardest thing to nail. I 100% agree when I did Finding Fatima when I did Curfew I did the opposite everything I focused on was the story and nothing else. <laughs> there was no flair, there was no directing, um, just because I wanted to just focus on story. And I was like, can I tell a story? Can I tell a story? Can an audience understand this story I'm trying to tell? But it is it is so, so important. And especially for our listeners who either are or are going to work in, you know, continuing drama. Sometimes you're shooting with a gun to your head with a time ticking. You have to get the story in three or four setups. Yeah. And that can only come from experience. Yeah. It can only come from experience. If you did that with Finding Fatima, I don't think that's necessarily, I think that is the right way to do it, is to learn it that way around. Because in a lot of my early work, I would focus on like cool transitions and stuff like, it's similar to Edgar Wright or something. But actually, as I've progressed, say in like Caterpillar or especially The Retreat, I didn't think about my transitions much at all. I just had faith that there'd be cutting points within the story that will kind of do that. And, and within The Retreat, 
it's got some of my favourite cuts in it. I think some of the, the editing it is so strong in the, and it comes from cutting at the right point in the story, the right moment of tension. Obviously, it comes from having a strong technical grounding, but ultimately it's it's story and performance, like, inherently. And story, stories dictating your transition. Exactly. The transitions in that, are, I think, are as good as anything that I've done. Like especially my better than my early work for sure. I do remember. I, I do remember a couple of the a couple of the dissolves in uh, in one of your early films that you showed me from uni. You know the one where uh, it's got the girl on the train, I... <laughs> and, and then it, and then and then it cuts to her under the bridge or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, it dissolved. I think. <laughs> yeah, there's a few of those dissolves. In in that film in particular, I'll have to put it on my website for people to watch. Yeah, with that, it, there was. All sorts of going on in terms of learning about grading and bloom and match cuts and yeah, it's a bit of a hodgepodge of, of new learning. So the biggest mistakes early directors make, number four, is thinking there is a shortcut to the promised land, to the goodness. Yeah, this is a big one, right? Yeah. It ties into the point before. This is why I obsessed over the technical things was because you look at YouTube videos, or I did, they'd all be like, this is how you get the film look or this is how you grade to get the film look. All that sort of nonsense or like you get sucked into the YouTubers of the day like Philip Bloom, the cinematographer who blew up and was doing camera reviews and you think like you need the latest bit of kit because that's going to be the thing which makes you a filmmaker. And actually that's all bullshit. It's, it's none of that. And Philip Bloom, you know, he, he had a really bad back injury, didn't he? Um, from all the cameras that he had, and, <laughs> There's and, some sort of lesson in that. <laughs> <laughs> to, you, you know, you, you know. To be honest, just on a, on, on a sidebar quickly, Philip Bloom was one of the first masterclasses that I went to, and and I didn't, I was, I didn't know I wanted to be a director, but it was one of. The, and when I saw him, I was, he was like celebrity. I was like, "Fuck, that's Philip Bloom," mm. and he was shooting when the when the new Reds had just come out, the Red camera first came out, and someone had, I think, paid for me to go on it. This is going about ten years actually. Um, yeah. When I, when I didn't didn't know if I wanted to do it, but. Yeah, definitely. You know, thinking that there's some short, sort of shortcut. I got, I got caught up in that myself. You know, just watching endless amounts of YouTube stuff. Lynda.com. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Going through Lynda.com, learning loads of stuff, and it's like, well, where? When is the application going on? Because all I'm doing is, is just is just driven by this fear of missing out and not and not doing it. Getting excited over te- technical specs of like, oh, this shoots in four two two now. Like that's amazing. Like, oh, but does it do raw? <laughs> exactly frame rates and nonsense and dslr gear and it's like it doesn't actually mean anything when it comes down to it no um, no, no. it's not going to make you a better director it certainly isn't and then also like you said you know get get getting getting caught up in kit i became obsessed with i mean at that time because i was wanting to i thought i wanted to do a production company while i was teaching i bought kit i bought an fs7 i bought loads of lenses i bought like Manfrotto tripods and everything Mm -hmm. and I thought this is going to make me a sick filmmaker and it's not because it isn't that's not you know kit doesn't make you need to get out and use it that's that's what it is right and I didn't shoot I didn't shoot one short film on the FS7 when I had it not one really nothing on it I was it was just work stuff that's all I shot I mean I wasn't directing anyway I was doing producing stuff but that's not a point. The point is that um, in my head, it was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. There's so many people that I, I just pass by in life that want to do directing, want to be filmmakers, want to tell stories, but they're sidetracked by they're sidetracked by life or they're sidetracked by family. They're sidetracked by work and having to pay a mortgage and keep doing bills. They, they might have a job in, in, in the creative industry, but it's not in the TV and film industry. And they might, th- they might be thinking, right, this is, this is it. 
Um, mm. And this is this is what I'm doing. And it's all about contentment, isn't it? It's about if you're content with that. But I do know when I speak to some of those colleagues of mine, they do kind of envy sometimes that I'm doing this and they're not. But my, my comeback to them is at least you've paid your bills this month and next month. Yeah. And they also don't see what you do five days a week. They, yeah, they, exactly. They get the, the highlight reel on social media, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, they don't see the rejection. Um, but all of that is, all, all of that is, um, you know, thinking there's a shortcut. When there's not, it takes years. It takes years. And, I've, and, and, I, and I'm sure you've done the thing I have where I've paid, I've even paid for like master classes and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like online or, or paid for specific panels thinking that's going to give me some sort of nugget or answer that's going to propel me into sort of like some sort of storytelling skill that I've never had and no one else has got. It's bollocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I only know this is from like, I guess the next point was searching YouTube for answers. I'm not sure what number that is. Let's give up on the numbers. But I remember watching so many interviews with directors that all, they all bled into one eventually. And I'd go to a masterclass and learn absolutely nothing new because ultimately what they say is what we're saying now is that like there's no shortcut. There's just absolutely no shortcut to any of it. Sit down on your own in a room, figure shit out, grind it out and do the work when no one is giving you any money, any validation, any sort of like, well done, this is really cool. And it needs to be like that for years, unfortunately. Eventually, someone will be like, oh, I like this idea or this film that you made is good. And then you need to carry on and keep doing it again for another five years. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's kind of how it is, right? And eventually, maybe one day, when you're once you're mid-career, people appreciate the things that you do. But ultimately, you have to make peace with just doing it, doing the thing. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a byproduct of it, isn't it? I mean, we were saying this just before we started that there isn't a shortcut answer, and, and it's gonna it's gonna mess you up for years if you think that there is, and you're caught up in that. You just have to think, I'm gonna bleed. I'm going to get emotional trauma. I'm going to go through a lot of headache emotional through trauma. this. So <laughs> yeah. um, it's part and parcel of it. I'm going to get rejection. I'm going to get rejection trauma. There's all yeah. sorts of different different things that you're, going to, that you're going to go through. And if it's prolonged over a long, long time, that's why it's important, like circling back to get your work out there so you get feedback. Some of that will be validation and that will help compensate for the rejections because you'll, you'll, you'll have self-belief that actually I am good. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think there's a discipline with like, once you finish something, you do the next thing and you just keep coming up with ideas. So you don't put any sort of pressure on one of them so that when you do get a rejection or you get knocked back or something doesn't quite land or you don't get the money to do one thing, it doesn't really matter that much at that moment. And that segues nicely to the next one. I don't know what number we're on. Let's leave numbers. Fuck the numbers. Don't need maths. No. (laughs) Well, according to our prime minister, we do till we're 18. (laughs) So procrastinating barriers to creating, I, I suffered from this, wait until I'm good enough, or I'm not going to do that film yet because I'm going to write another script in between, or I, I'm not going to put that out, let me go and quickly just like direct a sketch first, that's not going to go anywhere, and diverting my actual attention from what it is, that's definitely, for me, was a has been a barrier in the past, doing doing things that are not to do with me, understanding story and performance and visual language and the, the, the thing of directing doing other things yeah some of it can come down to being too much of a perfectionist right and it can trip you up is you know the insecurity will make you feel like you don't know everything you need to know when actually when you get out into the rooms of people you kind of see that everyone else is figuring it out as well I think for me I learned a lot from being a video producer partly because I had a bit of discipline anyway in finishing stuff I just about learned that 
from when I reached doing my masters. And, but when I was a video producer, I, I remember there was multiple times I didn't believe in a project at all. I hated the brief. There was not enough money. I knew it was going to be a shit show, but I was forced to do it anyway. And I was forced to finish it and I was forced to deliver it on time for a client because they paid for it and make it the best it can be, even though I wasn't proud of it. And there was like a crazy, crazy discipline in that. And yeah, it taught me a lot in terms of it doesn't really matter where you think you are. Everyone's figuring it out. And on top of that, I was going into rooms and sometimes filming the people who are basically running the country, like the head CEOs of the largest companies in Britain. And when you're kind of watching them, they know fuck all. They're coming into a room, they're reading a piece of paper and then they're spouting some some nonsense which has been written down for them because they're media trained and then they throw it out and then they go away and then you edit it and then everyone watches it and thinks they're really smart and brilliant and they're strong leaders and it's like cool it's all just nonsense no one actually knows what they're doing everyone's just figuring it out and doing the best they can do so yeah why can't i <laughs> it's, it's one of those ones it, it it definitely is about that about embracing your it's not not imperfections because it's it's what everyone's perfection is subjective isn't it the amount of podcasts that I've heard of directors talking about they didn't know X, Y, Z and they learned it while they were doing that film. Yeah. Other people would have waited until they knew that stuff before they actually went forward, but they just embraced the the, the opportunity and went with it. And I think that that I think that, that is a running trend with our discussions is, you know, just you've just got to get on with it and seize the moment and get on with it. I think also what happens as well, like even when I make stuff now you're actively becoming a better filmmaker as you're making it. So when you're in the edit, you're seeing the mistakes you've made because you're a better filmmaker. And if you could have foresaw those, you wouldn't have made those mistakes. Mm. And that's just kind of part of the parcel. And that's going to be that way on every single thing that you make because you're always going to learn stuff, hopefully. So yeah, there's, there's, you're never going to be good enough. And if you're waiting for that, then you're just not going to do anything. So you just have to crack on. And that moves on to if you know you do make the thing, and then you don't get it out there. You don't get your film out there. You hold on to it, you know. You or you might stick it onto the festival circuit, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. We love the festival circuit. Yeah, and then putting it on the festival circuit for eighteen to twenty-four months, hoping that some festival is going to put it on there. You get a selection, and that somehow gets you, you know, in front of BFI for them to fund your next feature. It doesn't quite work like that because there's a whole marketing element of how when you get selected for festivals, how you put that out. You have to self-market. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking back to when we were in Soho and you'd come over with your laptop just for the for the squares uh, on, on, on your posts. Are you on about when I was asking you to do my um, Photoshop stuff? Yeah, because you yeah. always you, you always were conscious of the marketing of it. Yeah, you always have to kind of shout out about what you're doing just for the for the culture. But yeah, the, with with festivals, like you can make the best film possible and there's no guarantees it's going to do anything like unfortunately, because there is a whole political element to it. When you're applying for these massive, massive festivals, you're up against BFI, Film 4, Backed Films, etc., who have made that film with the sole intention of getting a filmmaker heat because they're already making or developing a feature film with that person. You're, you're up against that as well as everyone else at your level and the rat race and institutions and stuff. So like, it's not saying that you can't break through, but it's so, so difficult because a lot of the people on these juries and, and these selection panels, they're in the industry and they will already be aware of the filmmakers behind a lot of these films, these high level films that are coming in from these people. So to be putting all your hopes on one film and sending it around for like, it takes, as you said, between 12 and 24 months to have a festival run. 
that's two years of your life. And if you're not already working on the next thing or, or whatever, it's, you're putting all the pressure on that to be the thing, which is going to take you somewhere. And it can be really disheartening. And you did a thing which was really smart. I'd not heard anyone do it before when we met on House of the Dragon, that you'd taken your film, one of your films that you'd done at the NFTS and bypassed the festival route and did everything that we're saying on our podcast to do and get it under the noses of people, get it in front of, get, in, get eyes on it. Yeah. And you did that with the retreat. Yeah, which is a horror thriller, which is on short of the week in Ulta. With with that, I was kind of a little bit forced into it because there was a pandemic. So it changed my thinking. I was like, well, there's no guarantee of festivals anyway, so I'm just going to throw it online and it will have a life. So that was kind of in my thinking. The school convinced me not to do it immediately and we'll try for festivals, which I'm glad they did because we ended up getting into like the Sitges um, Horror and Fantasy Festival, which is the biggest horror festival in the world, Oscar qualifying and stuff. And then that was really helpful. And because it got in there, then we then managed to get it on short of the week. And what I will say is that I think festivals are important stuff. And I've had my three film, no, four film, five films, I guess, travel to multiple festivals um, around the world. And I've not had a single general meeting or anything come off the back of the festivals other than likes on social media. When the retreat went online, I've had multiple general meetings lots of agent interest and all that sort of thing like all of the stuff you'd hope to get from getting into a big festival it all came from my film being online so we will do a proper episode on that but I mean that's just a shorthand of my sort of experience so I think there's something in that in terms of working to your own timeline and I think there's an immediacy to putting something online so even if you're doing like small sketches or something like this so like even my first job my first like corporate adverty job it came off the back of me making a shitty trailer and putting it on my facebook and someone seeing it and being like can you do one of those for me there's there's something in just getting your work out immediately for people to see i think that that's that i think that is so important you've got to get people on your work you know if if someone came up to me and said oh i'm a director okay can i see your work how the you know how or or when i go to somebody and say i direct what can i see your work it's so important that you've got that there and if you've got a public website so that's people, everybody Googles, everybody Googles people before they meet them. And if you've got a piece of work out there and that's your shop front, it's really important that, that whether it's your social media, whatever it is, has yep. your work on there so that people can see it, so that there's something to talk about. I've been in so many generals in the last year where the anchoring of the discussion has been centered around whatever's been out there of my work. It's yep. absolutely crucial. Because you don't know whose eyes are on you. No, you don't. You just don't. Got no idea who's watching. On Vimeo, you can look at your views and see how many views you've had this month. And, you know, mine are, they're not, they're not, they're not loads and loads, but people are watching my stuff on a monthly basis. Who's watching it? I've not sent it to anyone. Mm. You know? Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's there, there was a, I can't remember who it was, but there was a YouTube video I saw recently and it was, it was like an interview and it was about the importance of, of like quality of views rather than quantity. And so I think there was a guy who had like his own YouTube channel and he'd worked in the industry around TV and stuff. And basically he, he was putting out YouTube content, which was, I think, sort of like life coachy sort of stuff. And he was maybe getting about less than 100 views a video, but he was kind of doing it still. But I think what he had done, he'd interned or worked within on a show with someone who worked with Oprah, basically. And one of these people who was viewing his content was 
working like up close, up close and personal with Oprah. And then I think what had happened, Oprah had somehow started watching his videos and she was like one of the less than a hundred. And then off the back of that, she invited him in for a meeting because she was wanting to do like a new kind of show uh, for her like media empire. Um, and then brought him on and now he's like a successful like host in the US. I'm going to have to look at who that was but and find the video. But it was really, really interesting because it kind of speaks to you don't know who's watching um, and it's about getting stuff out. It was like fairy tale shit. I'm yeah. definitely have to dig that out. Yes. I'd we'll like circle to back that. to that in later episodes. I'd like to see that myself. So the next mistake is looking at the competition and obsessing over that. And that can really grind you to a halt into a paralysis yeah. looking at someone else's success and then that just feeding into your insecurity and just not ending up doing anything i've been guilty of that early on mm. uh, especially after finding fatima came out my confidence was rocked mm. uh, and because some of the views were scathing when they weren't even for the reviews that that put me in a state of paralysis creative paralysis for a while i didn't want to make anything i just kept studying and learning and learning and learning uh, which is which, which is a good discipline to have but you know, I wasn't creating anything. You know, that can happen. You know, don't don't look left or right. I think you're good at that. You're good at that about just staying focused on your own stuff, and you know, what I mean, when, when and not and not worrying too much about what anyone else is doing. I think it really comes down to like, what am I in control over? And the only thing I'm in control over is myself. Unless I live the exact same life as another person, I can't replicate their journey. So no matter what wins they get, I can't copy that. It's impossible. So it never just doesn't make sense to me. So I just have to make peace with what I'm doing, make sure that I'm moving as strongly in the direction which I'm trying to head in at all times and just having faith that it's going to come off. And I think now in the last like four years, everything's happened really quickly because it's all started to come off. I've just got even more validation for myself in that that's the right thing to do. So I'm just carrying on like that. But yeah, it's, I'm not going to say that I'm immune to seeing other people doing well, as you know, because we, we always have a bitch and be like, why is this person doing that? Or I can't believe this person's doing that, um, which is quite a toxic mindset. And I always, always, always have to check myself because one of my first thoughts when I see someone doing well is like to try and shoot them down. But that's not, that's toxic. That's so, that's so toxic and unnecessary. And everyone, if someone gets something, then it's exactly what the universe has decided they need. And so they are deserving. And I just kind of leave it at that. Um, and it's the same with me. Like, it's, you just have to make peace with the journey and it's all going to happen when it's going to happen, really. Um, you just have to kind of submit yourself to it. Stay in it. Stay in it. Just just lie on top of the waves. The ocean's going to take you wherever it's going to take you. Yeah. Chill out. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, and then a, a little double whammy mistake here that's been, that, that, that is one to avoid. Is waiting number for, 42. Yeah. Waiting for permission and funding. This is probably the best one to, to end on, right? Because it took me probably like two and a half years, I think, of being in London and trying to get stuff done through funding routes because that's what you see and that's what you're told you're supposed to do. And just not getting anywhere, I could have just made something myself. I was I was making small stuff, like I was making comedy sketches myself anyway, so I still had an outlet. But my career really kicked on once I made no exposure and that was out of pure frustration of not being, I was, I was like, fuck permission. I'm going to go and do it anyway. And then that's when everything kicked off. And I think that, and I, and I think to, you know, to get a bit of a deeper dive in that, the, you know, you can listen to episode one where Marcus does go into 
not having permission with no exposure. Um, yeah, I mean, for myself, I did wait for funding for a few things, but I think I probably channeled that more with my, through my writing than actually creating something because I was figuring out what it is that, what my problem is and why I'm not creating. So I was, I was probably um, hit by some of the other mistakes we've already talked about. So this didn't even get, I didn't even get to this bit. Um, but when I did get funding, I was just really happy that I could make a film. But whereas now, that's not even a thing for me. If I want to go and shoot something, if it's something I can shoot, you know, on a hundred quid, I will shoot it, I'll go and do it. If I want to do it, if I want to put the effort in to do it, um, it's not a thing. I think before the paralysis came from, like I said, having my confidence knocked, but also the fear of, I'm going to put all this effort in to do this and all this time and no one's going to like it. Yeah. So what a waste of my time that's going to be. Yeah. But that was all a fallout of how I felt about Finding Fatima. So I think that, you know, I don't think anyone should wait for permission. Two examples, a director called Chloe Wicks did a film called Cubicle. Mm. And that was just, you know, whatever, I think it's on director's notes, whatever resources she had available to herself, um, she wrote a story around it. Um, and I, and, and I, that, that film's always stayed with me. I watched it a few years ago. Mm. Um, and I always remember it. And then the, another film, and then there's another filmmaker from Manchester called Liam White, who did a film called Punch Drunk, and another one called Donut with his um, colleague Larry Kitang. I think that's how you pronounce it. And again, they they didn't they didn't wait for permission. They just they just did it and got on with it. It took them a few years. I think they took I think they said they took five years or whatever to do the first one. And they didn't wait for permission. They just went ahead and did it. And then they got funding after. Uh, and there's many, many examples of many other filmmakers that have done that. I mean, you know, the the, the classic is um, Rodriguez, who did... Um, oh, yeah, Robert Rodriguez. A Rebel uh, Without a Cause, and he did the yeah, first film. El Mariachi. Yeah. yeah. Um, he didn't wait for permission. He just he just went there and shot it. Another example is um, Gareth uh, Edwards, who did... Um, uh, monsters a monster you know he yeah. shot that on a on a sony camera with the uh, i think it was i forgot which sony camera it was it was from 2010 and he put yeah. this kind of like blade adapter thing on it this lens adapter on the front and it, and it, and it made everything look really cinematic there's many many examples of people who have just not waited for permission barry jenkins mm. you know medicine for melancholy just went ahead with 15 grand and shot it and sometimes it's like you know if you've got if you've got a story that's bursting in you you just want to go out there and you just want to make it happen yeah and it's the rawest purest form of storytelling because it's you and your voice and no one else is telling you what it should be or what it's got to fit into you just you just with at one with your creative self and those are the best films and as you get higher up, you'll learn that once you get all the funding and all the stuff which you kind of aspire to have, you'll look back on the time when you were free of it all and realise that's the most creative you'll ever be. And it was the most freedom you'll ever have. But you only realise it once you're out of it. In it, in, in, in it mad, I don't wanna, I'm not going to say no names, but it's I've heard it, it's, it's landed in my ears, the words of three directors mm. over the years. One was on a massive TV thing and I said to him, what are you going to do next? And I think he'd done a hundred million things as well before that. And he said to me, I just want to do a small indie. Mm -hmm. Even I remember, you know, Claire Kilner, you know, she was shooting a bit, that, that, that really big scene in episode nine. And she was like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to do a small film like uh, yeah. After Love, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, 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 it's mad. I think that's a great way to round out. Yes. There's your 46 mistakes, which you can make 46, as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a young up and coming director. 
So the, we, we come to our bit, Life of the Director. Uh, what, what's your week been like? But I guess it's it's a bit more of stories from Jamaica for you. <laughs> yeah, I won't, I won't go off on that because it's it, it would make me sound quite like a disgusting human being. But I did go to Jamaica over Christmas and it was, I mean, by the time this comes out, this will be a distant memory. But yeah, it was it was really beautiful. I'd never been before. I'm, I'm mixed race. Uh, my dad's Jamaican, so I got to see where he grew up. So that was like really <laughs> profound. But in terms of this week, I've actually had quite a busy week. So I'm, I'm actually currently making a short film with Disney. So I've I had like a notes meeting with, with them. Yeah, so I, I kind of had that on, on earlier in the week. Um, I think me and you had like a, a podcast call to talk about strategy for the coming year, about how to even release this fucking thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then otherwise it was kind of editing the podcast, which is a whole other thing because... I realized that I can't remember how to use Audition because it's been a long time. Yeah. So I had to relearn how to use Audition in the morning and then edit all afternoon. So I got that done and recorded today. I'm going to meet my parents afterwards. And then I'm going to do some writing tomorrow to rewrite the script based on the notes I got earlier on in the week. So yeah, that's been my week. Awesome. I have been, I, I was, I, I've been trying to um, get this idea together for this application uh, for a short the idea is something that's taken me a while. It's taken me a little bit of time, a few days to actually try and break the story. I think is I'm that the future takes? Um, yeah, initiative. it is. Yeah, um, and I think I've I think I've nearly brought the story for it. But it's a short that I want to do anyway, and it's a good excuse. You know, we were talking about it before that sometimes schemes and competitions are really good to sort of like get an idea out. And this is something that's been bobbing around in my head for a while, and and and, and it's a nice excuse to get it out. Then I've got a meeting this week with uh, someone I'm developing a TV thing with um, and it got a bit slow towards the end of last year but I think that I could probably move to writing that it's a TV pilot and if, if it doesn't go anywhere I can still use it as a, as a writing sample and I'm kind of excited about it because I'm really I really like the idea and then we've been having meetings for the short that I got funding for we're just doing the final touches of that of that script at the moment like yesterday and today that's nearly done that's called opening up I've done that with Alona Riley so we should be hopefully doing that and then we've got Guy Lindley and who's co-producing it with Hugh Man Adamson who's um, the main producer on it. Hugh Man. Yeah, Hugh Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and Hugh's, Hugh's also a um, he's also on the Screen Yorkshire Flex uh, Crave lab hub thing that I'm on. He's also in my group for that as well. Uh, I've got to do a rewrite of that pilot next week. There's a lot on actually, and and you know now that I've just laid it out, I've, I've realised that I'd committed to something else. But now that I've just said all that, I'm actually not gonna commit to that. I'm actually gonna. And this is the thing as well is not is not filling your plate up. This is part of delaying, isn't it? If you've got too much going on and you're not getting stuff done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's about balance as well. Hundred um, percent. So you don't want to spread yourself too thin because otherwise no. it's going to end up in a puddle on the floor. Exactly. And I guess nugget of the week. What has inspired you this week? I had a couple of things, but I think the one I'm going to actually go with that came to me in here was I watched a really good documentary on Netflix called Stutz. Oh yeah. Which was Jonah Hill documentary with his therapist. It was really, really good. And it really spoke to me as an artist, and I'm sure it would to anybody who's watched it or would want to watch it. Just about some of our insecurities and where those insecurities come from and this voice that we have, that self-doubt and uncertainty, they call it part X. And and, and I never, I'd never sort of like heard anybody articulate it the way they do. 
about this sort of like self-doubt is something that's always there. We're always going to have it. It's never going to go away. It doesn't matter whether if you've got financial insecurities and you become a, a very rich person. It doesn't matter if you're, uh, you've got artistic insecurities and you, you know, win the biggest awards. You're always going to have this self-doubt. It's part of our makeup. And it talks about like how do you manage that and where does that come from? Uh, and that put me onto a book which I'll use next week mm. as my nugget of the week. But I won't talk about that today. So Stutz is the documentary. I think it'll definitely help directors. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because obviously Jonah Hill is like in one of like the most cult classic-y films in Superbad. Oscar-nominated actor. He's also directed a feature with um, A24. Like he's, and I'm sure he's doing all right. And he's <laughs> he's worked with every single big director that you could ever dream to have worked with. So you'd think... On paper, something like that would be high flying, would be perfect life, bloody bloody blah, bloody blah, blah blah blah. But that's not the case. So it's it's great to hear hear that people are struggling. Just just so you kind of feel better about your own struggles, right? Exactly. It's just kind of how you manage it. Yeah. So for me, my nugget of the week, I've got a bunch of YouTube videos that I've watched, but I was thinking about one of the the things I started obsessing over once I found it, and it was it was actually a show called Project Greenlight, and you can find it on YouTube. The earlier seasons, it's from like the early two thousands. Unfortunately, it's with the Weinstein Company, but ignore that. It's it's with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck when they were like the hot new kids on the Hollywood block after Good Will Hunting and stuff. They used their their clout to do like a reality TV show for filmmakers. They were offering a million budget to make an indie film based on unsolicited scripts like you could send in on this forum and the ones which were the highest rated would get chosen or get put into like a short list and then they'd kind of do a competition element where they would then select someone to then go and direct it as well which was nuts in the first season because they're completely unproven and they are just writers they make so many mistakes so many mistakes but they're basically making an indie through the studio system. So I remember watching that and they kind of, they switch up the formula for each season. So the second season, they realise they should never give that job to a, a writer and they think they have a separate writer to directors and they kind of choose they choose it that way. And with the third one, they realise the first two have made absolutely no money. So they, they task them with doing a genre film. It has to be genre so it can make some money back. And from watching that, I remember that's where I learned about the importance of making your day as a director and there's so many things around people's own political ideas like the casting directors because it's a small indie that they want to put certain actors forward for this who they know are going to blow up so then they can get them onto a bigger job within the same company like and they've got their own agendas and the cinematographer that they bring on they're like coming from music video world and they want they they want to make sure that some of the shots are, are perfect for them and if they're not happy with it they might sabotage a shot midway through because it's not it's not going to make them look good and they don't have the trust in the director that they're not going to choose it. So there's so many little things which I learned from watching that show I was like, which you would just never ever really have in your head, even down to notes and studio pressure, which I just think is like absolutely invaluable. And it speaks to a lot of what we've seen. So I'd definitely say somehow, I don't care how you get it. It's on the internet somewhere, but find it and give it a watch because it's it's some really good tv and they also made a new a new season in 2015 I yes believe. that that was season four with jason mann so that's quite a recent one and it's also been recommissioned now and is going to be done with Issa Rae, which i've just seen so it's going to be coming back so yeah just just dig that out get caught up it's it's invaluable i think just as an additional one did you ever watch the chair no what's that 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 was on stars it was very similar okay and uh 
in 2014, a guy, a YouTuber called Shane Dawson won it. And it's also got uh, Zach Quinto in it. He's one of the producers in it. It, it becomes a, it becomes a bit of a shit show. So if you can find that as well. Directing and filmmaking? Yeah, it's directing. Amazing. Okay, uh, cool. But it's, 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 it's mad. Like, it's mad. Project Greenlight. And when I first started out, those are the two things that I watched when I first started out back in 2004, you know, whenever it was. I, I watched those those all of Project Greenlight and the, the, the chair, somehow I acquired it from somewhere. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, just appeared in your inbox. It was in, yeah, it was, it was invaluable. You're so right, because you're never going to be able to see, when you're first starting out, you're not going to go on a set and lead it. It's just not going to happen unless someone stupidly gives you 300 grand to make a feature. Yeah. It's not going to happen. It, I, but I don't, no one was going to do that anyway. It's nonsense. Yeah. So, it's a ridiculous idea. Yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so unless that happens, you're never going to be in front of in front of uh, leading a crew. But yeah, the chair's really good as well because that that actually shows all the shit that not only goes on set but all the arguments that go that take place by the producers as well. Wonderbar. So next up, I think we're gonna. Well, I say next up. Next week, we're probably going to end up with a guest. Yes. So that should be fun. Listen out for that. So if anyone does happen to be listening, get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com. And we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing in the film industry at large. And we'll do our best to tell you. And we want to share this as a resource for you. So do definitely get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram as well, which is the director's take podcast. So until next time, keep learning, keep failing and keep the faith.